So we're starting a new series, a new journey together, and I'm excited because it's really a few week series that we'll do together, but it's the long arc of the year that God is thinking about today. And what God's thinking about today is more than just a New Year's resolution for you. And if you're into New Year's resolutions, I don't want to, you know, rain on your parade. You just go to town on that. That's amazing. I think every, every new beginning, you know, comes with that new optimism. And if you're off on a new diet or a new workout plan or, uh, you know, getting a new boyfriend or whatever it is that you're working on this year, that is incredible. But what I want us to think about is a long-term arc of becoming the people that God wants us to become. What would it look like if you and I could imagine today what God sees for our lives, if we could see a picture of what God sees for our lives, and we could start on the journey towards something greater than what we have experienced in the past. Someone better than the person that we have lived with in the past. And I think under this idea of habit, we have the potential for God to lead us a long, long way in life. I don't know how that series has hit you already when you knew we were going to talk about habit. They're, they're good habits and bad habits, but the thing is we're all a product of the choices that we make. Someone said that first we make our habits and then our habits make us. In other words, we're the product of what we do repeatedly, consistently, systematically. Whatever we do over and over and over again, that's who we are and that's what we become. We are not what we dream about being. We are what we do consistently. And so it's important for us at the beginning, I think, of the year to think about who is it that God wants you and me to be because where we end up and who we become is all about the habits that we create and the habits that we curate in our lives. And so for the next few weeks together, we're going to sort of, you know, move out into the stream of the potential and possibility of what God can do. But I really want to lead us as a house over the long haul. What we're looking for in this series and in this year are trees and not daffodils. You know, daffodils can emerge in a matter of days, but what we're looking for are trees that take time. And we have time, Lord willing, if we just start moving in the right direction with God. The message today is called the pinata and the iceberg. That's the first time a title's gotten any applause, so that's a good start. The pinata. And the iceberg, this is really the picture that I want us to get in our minds as we think about forming and creating and curating the kinds of habits, spiritual habits, that will get us where we want to be. Everybody knows the pinata, right? I mean, when you see the pinata, it makes you happy. Um, we all kind of get the same emotion when we, when we get this in view. And what is the pinata? all about. Well, the pinata is the highlight of every party when you were a kid, because first we take everybody to the sky zone and they jump their brains out and everybody's sweaty. And then we fill them up with cupcakes or cake or other wonderful sugary things. And then we finally get back to the house and we hang the pinata, hopefully it's a little tip outdoors somewhere. And we blindfold the children who are all hyped up on the sugar and we give them a weapon and we spin them around until they're disoriented and then they take turns whacking at the pinata 
Why? So that when the right blow is struck, the pinata explodes and more sugary goodness lands all over the yard or the patio or the driveway and all the children scurry as fast as they can to get as much candy in their hands and pockets and mouths as possible. We all love the pinata. And the pinata is a picture. It's a really wonderful picture of the culture that we live in. We live in hollow days. Richard Foster said it this way. He said, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant gratification is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need of today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for a deep people. That in a culture which is so hollow, so about the next rush, the next thing, to actually have some substance to your life. So it's the difference between being a pinata in the world or being an iceberg in the world. And we all know what that looks like. There is something amazing and beautiful for the world to see. There's something inspiring and brilliant that the world can enjoy. But an iceberg is what it is because of the substance that you cannot immediately see. It's what's below the surface that at the end of the day makes an iceberg something that is of substance, not for a day or a week, but for a long, long time. And you and I have the opportunity to think about at the beginning of this year, am I going to end up being a pinata like the culture, just hollow with some sugary goodness inside, or am I going to have that kind of life that underneath the surface actually begins to grow in strength and maturity so that I become a person of weight, a person of substance, that I become the kind of person that God wants me to be. And living in the instantaneous now is such, as Richard Foster said, a curse towards the spiritual person that God wants to form inside you and inside me. You are mind, body, and spirit. That's what you are. Your mind, body, and spirit. And most of us who have started off the new year with high hopes and aspirations have focused on one of those areas, primarily the body. So I'm going to work out more this year. I'm going to get in shape this year. I'm going to get ahead of the curve. And when spring break, break comes, I'm already going to have my beach body this year. You know, I'm not going to wait till the last minute and the two days before we go on vacation and decide I need to go on a diet. I'm actually going to change the way I eat. I'm going to get healthier this year. I'm going to, I'm going to do some things. And a lot of that is because we live in a pinata culture. I'm not saying all of it, but some of it is because the thing we see is not our mind and we don't see our spirit. What we see and what other people see is our body. So all of our good endeavors, a lot of our good endeavors at the beginning of the year are about what we can see. But what God is wanting to say to you and me is this. Your mind can be changed by your spirit your mind can be renewed by the power of your spirit and your body can actually be directed into God's purposes and plans by the power of your spirit. And so what we want to think about for a few weeks together is what are the spiritual habits that will allow us to become trees that in time 
we can see the fruit of God's faithfulness in and through our lives. And so we're going to look at iceberg-esque qualities, the things that allow us to become those people that God wants us to be. And we're going to look at a few of these over time. But I want you to begin with me just by hearing what the psalmist write about the longing that is in the soul of people who live in a pinata world. And I'm reading from Psalm 42, beginning in verse 1. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now that is a snapshot of the reality, I think, of the culture. In the pinata world, in the sugary world, in the instant world, we all have this fast-paced satisfaction cycle going on in our lives. If I want something, I just go on the app on my phone and order it, and then I run down and pick it up, or they bring it to me, and then I enjoy that, and then I move on to the next thing. With my same phone, I turn on the television and control the channels, and with the same phone, I text somebody, and they now, you know, engage with me for a while, or the same phone, I now can scroll down through the feeds of hundreds of people's lives and see what they're doing today, and in all the instantaneous cycle that we go through, sometimes we miss the fact that deep beneath the pinata culture is an iceberg of the image of God that's been stamped into you and me. And there is a longing, is there not? A thirsting, if you will, below the surface in your life, in my life that says, I need something more than just another sugary fix. And the psalmist said, what it is, is it's a It's a soul that's panting for God. Inside of you and me is a soul, a spirit created by God and for God. And the spirit within us hasn't forgotten whom it was created by and for. And we may have starved it out by all the instantaneous stuff of the world, but but the spirit within us is still panting. It's still thirsting. It's still longing for more. In verse 3, the psalmist goes on to say, My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? And now the psalmist remembers days of old. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. But that's not the reality anymore. Here's the new reality. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Isn't it interesting that the world has given us everything we said we wanted at our fingertips, yet we're still disturbed and uneasy deep down in our soul? And the habits that we're forming, if they're pinata habits, are going to reinforce for us that gap of dissatisfaction. And the only way to close the gap, the thirst, is to change the habits of our lives. Why are you so disturbed within me? 
And then here comes the self-message. Put your hope in God. Realign. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And then look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep. Can you say that with me? Deep calls to deep. I want you to say it. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Don't you love the way the psalmist puts that in view for us? He says, like the roar of a Victoria Falls or a Niagara Falls, like that same roar, deep calls to deep. What is the picture there? That God's magnitude and majesty calls out to God's magnitude and majesty that is within us, that deep is calling to deep. While the world is saying surface to surface, God is calling deep to deep. While the world's offering instant to instant, God is saying, I wanna lead you deeper because your hunger and thirst are for more. And this is what we wanna rally around in these days together. And the way that we rally around it together is by rethinking, reimagining who we want to become, who God wants us to become, and then by building a system of habits that will enable us to move in the direction that God is calling us to move toward. And these habits, these spiritual habits. Now, there are mental habits, and some of these will spill over to that. There are certainly bodily habits, physical habits, and some of these will spill into that. But we're mostly focusing on spiritual habits or what, what have been called over the history of the church spiritual disciplines, the kinds of things that when you engage with these behaviors and begin to make these the, the, the normal rhythms of your life, they actually begin to pay great dividend for you. You know, the Roman poet Ovid, he said it so succinctly. He said, nothing is stronger than habit. Nothing is stronger than habit. And, and I think a lot of us are living in a dream culture like, I, I just have this picture of what I want to be. I just have this picture in my mind of what my life's going to be like. I just have a beautiful vision of what I'm going to be. And dreams are great. Dreams are the beginning of everything, but they're like the 1% of the 100%. And the other 99% is the habit that we put in place that allows us actually to walk towards the picture that God has given us. And Ovid, I love it. Ovid was writing in the time of Caesar Augustus. So that just kind of freaks me out a little bit, you know? Remember that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed? That Caesar, well, in that same time frame, Ovid was writing, and that's when in the, the book uh, called The Art of Love, book two, he wrote this phrase, nothing is stronger than habit. And here's an interesting thing about that. He said that as a contemporary of Jesus Christ. I just love, sometimes it helps us to connect Jesus with history so that we're not all thinking that we're out here on some sort of spiritual planet on our own today, but in the same time frame as contemporaries, actually in the same part of the world, I'm certain because Ovid wrote about religion that he was aware of who Jesus Christ was. So contemporaries of each other, Ovid is writing, nothing is stronger than habit, and Jesus is on the scene, and he's actually bearing that out for you and me. I want to show you two things about the life of Jesus, and then we'll look at the disciplines 
particularly that we're going to focus on together and the one that we're going to put in place right away beginning today. Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapter 22, two amazing bookends to the life of Jesus. This is the beginning of Jesus' life and the end of Jesus' life because I think everybody could say, if you want to be an iceberg, you're thinking more like Jesus. When I think about pinata, I'm not thinking about Jesus. I'm thinking in a surface world, Jesus seemed to be moving through with a lot of substance in his life, a lot of depth to his person. And so how do you become like that? Well, I want you to see two things about Jesus, the beginning and end of his life. The beginning of his life, we know that he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. But at the end of that, he began his public ministry on earth. In Luke 4, 14, it says it this way, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth. That's where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. Here's the phrase, as was his custom. So Jesus has been born. We've celebrated that. Jesus has been taken out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He's been tempted by the enemy at the end of that. And now he returns. He comes back to Galilee, back to his hometown, eventually to Nazareth. And it says on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And this was the moment where he took the scroll on that day, which was from Isaiah. He opened the scroll. He read the prophecy, which was about him. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And to give sight to the blind, to lift up those who've been pressed down, to say all the things that he was going to do in his life. And then he said, now you're in your hearing today, this scripture has been fulfilled. But he did all that as was his custom. In other words, Jesus didn't start on day one building a new mindset. Jesus did on day one of his public ministry what he had done all the days before that that no one saw. All the days before that that no one really noticed Jesus was at the synagogue. No one really cared that he actually read that day. This wasn't the only day Jesus had ever read in the synagogue. But as was his custom... He was in the right place at the right time, on the right path to become the person that God had set him on earth to become. And then the very same thing at the end of the gospel in Luke 22, verse 39, the upper room has happened, the, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper has happened, and now it's time for the disciples to go out from Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is going to pray one last time before he's crucified for the sins of the world and it says in verse 39 of Luke 22, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Goes on to say on reaching the place, he told them, let's pray so we don't enter into temptation. And then we know Jesus' prayers there. Then he's arrested. Then he's taken to the high priest. And then before long, he's crucified for the sins of the world. But that night, he went out to the place where he usually went to pray. And the word, as was his custom, the way that he came into the synagogue to announce his ministry, and the word, as usual, the way he went out to pray at the end of his public ministry on earth is the exact same Greek word, ethos, and it means habit. So Jesus had in place 
the patterns of spiritual rhythm that allowed him to fulfill the destiny that God had put on his life in the first place. We want the destiny, we just don't want the disciplines. We want God to put us in the story, we just don't want any regular, ordinary, habitual, spiritual discipline to shape us into the person that God wants us to be because we've bought into the pinata. You just hang it up, you spin around, you hit it with a big bat, and all this amazing godly character just flies out for the world to see, and it doesn't work like that. An iceberg is a part of a glacier which most likely has existed for millennia. And that iceberg has broken away, but it is still related to a vast history of faithfulness. And that's what God is calling you and me to. And nothing in your life, not your desire, not the goals that you wrote in your journal, and I'm I'm happy that you wrote them. I'm not raining on anybody's new year today, but the goals you wrote in your journal are not the most powerful thing about you. Your habits are the most powerful thing about you. Whatever are the regular occurrences in your spiritual rhythm, make you and me into the men and the women that we are or are not. Nothing is more powerful. Nothing is stronger than habit. And that's why we want to focus in for a few weeks on spiritual habits or, if you will, spiritual Disciplines. I don't know what that, that term does for you. You're like, oh my goodness, spiritual discipline? I don't need it, man. I am saved by grace. I'm a child of grace. I'm loved by God. I'm a daughter of the king of the universe. I'm a princess. I, I don't need any discipline in my life. Thank you very much. You know, wow. And what God is saying is, it is the rhythm of the habits that you put in your life that are gonna be the strength of who you end up becoming in time. So we're going to talk about a few. You want to hear some of the ones we're going to talk about over the next few weeks? This should be exciting. We're going to talk about seeking God, specifically under the banner of fasting. We're going to talk about the spiritual habit of solitude, the spiritual habit of scripture, the spiritual habit of prayer, simplicity, service, and steadfastness. These are the things we're going to focus on over the next few weeks together. Oh, thank you. Man, that made me nervous for a minute. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm on an island up here, but thank you. And there was something under the surface. There was an iceberg down there waiting, waiting to come up to the top. So I think it's going to be, be fantastic. And we're going to begin today with the spiritual discipline of seeking God. That's where we're going to start today. And we're going to begin today on this journey of seeking God in the new year, and we're going to specifically seek God by fasting. And we're going to call the house to take the rest of this month, 21 days left in January, to set aside space in our worlds to seek God. You know, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the crux of it all in verse 33, a text that a lot of us know. But Jesus said it this way. He said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
And all these things will be given to you as well. So at the beginning of the year, wouldn't it make sense for you and me to say, all the things we've been thinking about, I need to get my finances in order. I'm going to start getting some career training this year. I want to go back to school. I want to get a, a master's degree. Uh, I'm going to take a class in X, Y, or Z. I, I want to start working out. I want to reconnect with some of my friends that I've fallen out of touch with. All these things that we're thinking about, great things. What he says, here's the, the great thing of all the things is to seek first the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean don't seek a new job this year. He's not saying that. He's just saying before you seek a new job this year, seek God this year. Before you seek to find the right mate this year, you know what, I'm gonna get back on Match.com or eHarmony and give it one more shot this year and I really have high hopes this year, this is gonna be my year. He's not saying don't seek a mate. He's just saying before you seek a mate, seek God. Set out at the beginning of the year, this is our opportunity at the very start of this year to say, for the next 21 days, I wanna set aside space in my life to seek after God, believing that if I seek after God, everything else I'm seeking after is gonna fall into place in God's time. And that's not our motivation for seeking God. Our motivation for seeking God is because deep down inside of us, something is saying, I need God. I need more. I need more than the surface. I need to reconnect with my creator. I need a relationship with the one who actually brought me into life and leads me through life. And so that's why we're seeking him. And the way that we're going to seek him and one of the best ways to seek him is by fasting. And I love that we have that opportunity together. Some of you, you know, I'm not sure what you're thinking about. We said we're going to fast for 21 days. You're like, are you kidding me? I don't know if I can do that or not. What does that mean? Just hang on. We're going to unpack it. And it's not going to be as complicated as possibly you think right now. But why are we going to fast? We're going to fast because Jesus encouraged us to. Just a few verses above in verse 16, he said, and when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. So the, the when, when you fast was the whole explanation, by the way. The rest of it is just application. The, the whole explanation is when you fast. He didn't say, um, I'm expecting you to do this this often or, or, or this time of year. He just said, oh, I'm assuming you're going to fast at some point. Why? Because it had been part of the thread in the history of the people of God over centuries of time. And in all those cases, it was a way that people could disconnect with the pinata and reconnect with the iceberg of the faithfulness of God. And all of us need that in our lives. And Jesus just assumed that we weren't going to get swept up in the instantaneous nature of the world, but that we were going to step back and create a space that he could fill. And so he said, and when you do that, Here's how you do that. And so we'll talk about that in just a second. But the reason we're fasting is because Jesus amplified for us the necessity of reconnecting with God. And it's going to do two things for us when we fast. The first thing it's going to do for us is it's going to reveal how powerful the things are that control our lives. And I'm not going to tell us as a house how to fast. I'm going to ask you and maybe that's the beginning of the fast. For maybe the first two or three days of the fast, you're just asking God, what do you want me to fast from? It could be, I, I, it could be anything. I'm not going to say any suggestions. I keep wanting to say all these different kinds of things. And you're like, oh, yeah, I think I'll do that one. I would love it for me and you. If you heard God say, hey, in the vast landscape of your world, here's one thing you could take out for 21 days. 
And in the place of that thing, put in a sensitivity and an openness to me, an awareness of me with the hope that I would help you know who and what I want you to become in this year ahead. That you would just look on the whole landscape of your life and just find one thing. It's not likely that God's going to say, I want you to, to not have food or drink for 21 days, and I want you to get up and prayer walk at 4.30 every day for two hours before you uh, go to work, and I want you to read the scripture through every day uh, for the next 21 days, and I want you to go on a prayer retreat every weekend for the entire weekend from sundown Friday until you come back to serve at church at all three gatherings on Sunday. It's not very likely God's going to put that on your plate. It's not likely God's looking at our pinata world and saying, man, I'm going to turn you into an iceberg by next Friday. God's just saying, why don't we cut the pinata down and just set it on the table? It's not nearly as impressive when it's just sitting on the end table than when it's hanging up over the patio, spinning around, inviting us to get a baseball bat and break it open. Just crack it open and then put both halves on the dining room table. God's wanting you most likely to take a step, not a leap. Because leaps are formulas for failure, and failure ends up disillusioning us and making the pinata just look all that much better. And so when we fast, we're going to look on the landscape and we're going to say, what is one thing that God is encouraging me, that God's encouraging? Don't just say, I decided. That's not seeking the Lord. So don't just say, well, you know, we're going to fast for 21 days at Passion City Church. And I decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to do whatever. If I could just be so bold, and, I, and I'm about to be bold, so I'm not even asking. If I could be so bold, that's what's wrong with us. That's what's wrong with us. It's so annoying when you run into people. Well, I've decided what I'm going to do is X, Y, and Z. Look, the fact that you are deciding it all is the problem in the first place. What we need to do is to say to God, you help me figure out what to do and how to do it. What would you like me to do? And then, then our, our follow-up to that is that, well, I decided I'm not gonna do whatever, which just sounds more like me doing something versus God tapping us on the shoulder and saying, hey, here's, here's a good thing for you. What if you just took that out for 21 days? And the first reason why fasting is gonna be amazing for us is because it's going to reveal to us how powerful the control other things have over our lives really is. Because I think we think we're in control way more than we are. And when we take that thing out of our lives, we're just gonna be looking at it like going, I gotta have it, I gotta get it, I can't live without it. I didn't know I can't live without it. I didn't know I can't live without it, but I can't stop thinking about it. And it's gonna reveal to us that things have power over our lives. And God wants us to know this. All things, the scripture says, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to read this. Paul said, all things are permissible. So there's always going to be somebody in your life that says, oh, man, don't worry about that. You know what? We're all living under grace and everything's permissible and everything. And you, just, you, just, you just live in God and just live free in God. Well, Paul got that. He said, you know, all things are, are permissible. For him, he thought... Everything's permissible, verse 12. But then look what he says in the next part of that. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy 
them both. And then he goes on to talk about the, the real intent of this particular passage about sexual immorality. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. In other words, mind made for God, body made for God, spirit made for God. So it's not spirits made for God. Do your thing on Sunday or Bible study night or whatever. And the rest of the time, just let your body run the show or let your mind run the show. He knows mind made for God, body made for God, spirit made for God. That Jesus could be Lord of all. Not just Lord of one little component inside of me when I'm in my worship zone, but that he could actually be the Lord of our lives. And so he goes on to say in verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And then he goes on down to the very end and says, verse 20, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so when somebody says, well, you know, you can, you can have one of those. That's not a big deal. They say, I know I can, but I'm not going to for 21 days. And then you realize whether you have it or it has you. And when we begin to realize it has us, you know what it does for us? It humbles us. And it puts us in a posture of going, God, I didn't realize how much I need this. It's not just a little simple exercise. I actually am being controlled by this thing way more than I thought I was. And that's awesome to know because I want the fullness of life that comes when you are directing my life, when my stomach or my appetite or my mind isn't what's directing my life. The second thing about fasting that's incredible for us, and we saw it back in the early part of the bookend of Jesus' life when he announced his ministry in Luke 4, is that when we fast, it will heighten our awareness of God's purpose for our life and God's power on our life. I love how this is written. We just came by it pretty fast, but it says in verse 14, Luke 4, Jesus returned to Galilee. How? Well, see, he's been out 40 days and 40 nights. He's been in the wilderness. He's been out fasting and praying. He's been out at the last of it. The devil came face to face and, and you know, had a throwdown with him. And so surely when he came back to Galilee, he's going to look like a leaf after a, a, a tornado. He's going to look like he's been through the ringer. He's going to just be barely hanging on. He's going to come rolling back in like, oh, my goodness, man, 40 days and 40 nights. And then the devil came at the end of it. Oh, my word. No, it says, and when he returned, he returned, look at it, in the power of the Spirit. In other words, the time of separating himself from the things of the world didn't make him weaker, it made him stronger. And as he came into the announcement of his ministry at the synagogue in Nazareth, the power of God was on his life because he had detached from the instantaneous sugary goodness of the world and he had actually dug down into the substance of who God is and in the process of that he came back stronger and more confident and more aware of his purpose and his calling in life and in the power that God had made available to him to actually live out that purpose and live out that calling 
You're not going to come out of 21 days of fasting weaker. You're going to come out stronger, more aware, more alert, more on your game, sharper of mind, sharper of spirit, sharper of heart, more in touch with the real things of the world and less in touch with all the superficial stuff that everybody is so fired up about every single day around you. And you're going to be moving like an iceberg through a pinata world. And you're going to have to manage to cope because you have to cope. You can't just roll in and go, that's not funny. You know, well, who cares about that? I don't watch TV anymore. Oh, you people are just, you know, more sugar fix. No, you got to float in and you got to move through the culture. You got to be able to kind of go, oh, that's interesting. But all the while you're like, you know what? That used to really tantalize me to think about whatever that is y'all are talking about. But I'm telling you, it's really not doing it for me right now because I've had some time with the iceberg and I got a different rhythm going on in my life. We don't have to become serious people. We don't have to become, you know, boring people. We don't have to sit around the parties and go, yeah, all y'all have a good time. I'm over here fasting and growing in spiritual maturity. That's not a way to win the world. We have to be all things to all people. But what a beautiful thing to come out of the backside of 21 days and be sharper to be more focused, to be more clear, to, to be more alert, to be more ready for what God has for you this year. And it all comes by a habit called seeking God. I'm going to actually seek after God. And the way I'm gonna do it is I'm gonna fast from something for 21 days and in that space, I'm going to ask God to come and to speak to me about my life. And how can that happen? Well, there's a few things I want to give you practically, and then we're, we'll be ready to roll. A few practical things about that. Number one, the first thing that we do once God tells us, this is what I want you to fast from, and then we step into it, trust him to give us the grace to do it. The first thing that I want you to think about is that as you fast, the space you're creating, you're creating space for God to speak into his picture and plan for your life for this year. So it's not simply you sitting down and going, I want to think about what I want to do this year. That's not seeking God. That's seeking you. And the, the problem I have with that in my life is when I do seek my purpose and plan, I have a tendency to bring that to God and say, okay, this is what I want to do this year. W would you mind like signing off on that for me? Because these are all the things I've decided I want to do this year. And God's like, that's great. That's amazing. But it would have been awesome if you just asked me what I would like to do this year. Whole different mentality. And that's what seeking in this 21 days is really all about. So we're asking a question, God, what is your picture for my life? And can I encourage you, don't get a hasty answer. Don't, don't try to get a pinata answer. Don't, don't sit down and go, well, I'm, you know, I'm at Starbucks and I got my big latte again because I'm not fasting from that. And um, you know, I'm, I've got my pen and my journal and I'm, well, I'm gonna get something from God and I, I'm, I've only got 30 minutes so I have to get back to work. I got it, I got it. I'm going to tweet it. All right. <laughs> you know, here, here it goes. My dream for 2016, you know, and we're so ready. I'm going to Instagram it. So I'm going to get it up on, stand up on a chair and get my camera up on top of the table and move everything and get that. Do you mind moving your coat? Thank you. And I'm going to get the best photograph of this and I'm going to Instagram. I'm now ready to go out. Look, don't rush to get a hasty answer to who God wants you to be. 
You, you, you might go 20 days before you write down on a piece of paper, this is what God's picture for my life is this year. But I know it, and I see it. And I don't care if it's Mount Everest in a bathing suit, I am gonna move in grace towards God's goal. So you're asking God, what is your picture and what are you saying to me? And you're waiting and you're listening. You're opening scripture. You're pouring through God's word. You're sitting in a company of the saints. You're in church. You're in Bible study and you're listening to God's voice to speak to you about his picture for your life. And here's why. You need a picture not just determination to change. See, determination to change, watch this. Determination to change is usually about eradicating something bad from our lives, almost all the time. And then we rehearse to ourselves over and over and over. I'm not a psychologist, but you know how this works. We, reverse, we rehearse to ourselves over and over and over again. I'm not going to do X this year. I'm going to stop doing X this year. We tell our friends, I'm not doing X anymore. I'm changing X. I'm getting rid of X. I'm jettisoning X this year. And every time we do that, what we're doing mentally is we're ascribing power again to the thing we're trying to get rid of in our lives. Some of you, and, and, and this is not about smoking, it just, some of you are thinking, I really like to quit smoking this year. I, I'm going to quit smoking this year. I'm going I'm to cut down, I'm going to go down to one pack this year, a day. I, I'm going to, that's what I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, but, but if you had a picture, like a compelling picture, for example, that you did want to climb a mountain, and it was so captivating to you and so compelling for you, it just lit you up, got in your veins, got in your blood system, and you said, you know what, I'm gonna do this year. I'm not interested in smoking or not smoking. I'm going to go up that mountain this year. I got a feeling about three weeks from now, you won't be smoking anymore. Not because you decided to not do something, but because you decided to do something, and that the something you decided to do was a compelling vision for you and some ancillary things had to go by the wayside. And you, you really didn't sit down and calculate them like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to, to do that because, wow, man, that's going to be hard to not do that. I don't know if I can not do that. But you just thought, I'm doing that. And in the process of the vision, and that's why God wants to put a picture, a vision, in your mind and heart of who it is he wants you to become and what his purpose for your life is. Because then that vision, it sweeps you up. And it allows you to, to, to move past some of the, the, the periphery. And just to say, I've got somewhere I'm going right now. And the somewhere I'm going right now means I'm just not doing as much of that. Some of you have already done that. You went to night school to get a master's degree. And a bunch of stuff you used to do at night, you just don't do anymore. And after about two months, you were like, I'm not really even missing sitting at home going which is what I used to do all the time. I'm not even at home anymore. People say, did you see such and such? I'm like, I don't even watch television. You quit watching television? No, I'm getting a master's degree. Oh, and all of a sudden everything shifted and we see how that works and that's the way it's gonna work 
in our spiritual habits as well. Our direction ultimately will determine our destination. So seeing that picture and setting our path, this is step one for you and me. The second thing that's necessary to get there is that we have to figure out what are the concrete steps that move us in that direction. What are the concrete steps that move me in that direction? And then we have to start down that road. If you could envision it like a board game, you know, a lot of good board games have a little something you spin and it goes around and it's either your turn or someone else's turn or you skip a turn or you get to jump over somebody else and there are all these little options and you're just spinning the wheel. Well, imagine your life for 2016 with three options only with a little arrow in the middle. And the three options are same, worse, or better. And the arrow can only be on one thing today. Can't be on a bunch of things. It's only on one thing. So right now, right now, for 2016, our arrow, yours and mine, is either on same. Some of you, it's just same. It's going to be same as last year. It's going to be same deal, same whatever, same habit, same pattern, same life, same system, same, same. It's going to be same. Just going to be just a different year of the same for me this year. Some of you have got your arrow on worse right now. In other words, you're making choices and forming habits right now, and the outcome of those habits is that you're going to be worse off at the end of this year than you are right now because you've already set the direction of your life. The relationship you're in, not going to lead you to a better you this year. The friends that you're hanging out with, not going to lead you to a better you this year. The, the kind of attitudes that you're allowing to take up residence inside your mind right now are not going to lead you to a better year this year. You need to evict them anyway. They're not paying you rent. You need to do a refresh and you need to think about what kind of thoughts and attitudes do I want to allow to live in my house. And when you set the direction either on same, worse, or better, then you are shaping the storyline that you want to follow in your life. And so to set that arrow with God in 21 days to say, I am going to become a better person, the person God wants me to be. I am going to step into a better, a better purpose in life this year than last year. That's setting direction. But when you set direction, you've got to take some practical steps to get there. And I want to encourage you why we fail most often is because we set the bar of our steps too high. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a great inspiring sermon or message, I know, but I wanna encourage you to set your bar a little lower. That goes against everything I believe, but I'm gonna just say it again. I wanna encourage you to set your bar just a little lower. Do not set your bar. By next Friday, I will have memorized the Gospel of Luke. Not likely. So set your bar in a manageable, achievable zone. Here's why. Because something small is greater than nothing great. And God's purpose and plan is that you'll become a tree, not a daffodil. We're talking about a long arc here, not a quick rush. We're not talking about a series, and when it's over in however many weeks, when it's over, we'll all have change, and then we'll move on to the next series. He's talking about your future, your children's future, your children's children's future, and the destiny of nations and corporations 
and institutions and the world. And on that long arc, he's saying, just take the steps necessary to get you to the next step and celebrate something small on your way to something great. We fail most often because we set the bar too high because we bought into the pinata culture. You know, I've told you this story before, but I remember the summer I was gonna run the Peachtree Road Race. I hate running. I did even at that time. I was younger then. And I just decided I'm gonna run the Peachtree Road Race. And I saw all these people training and all these people were getting in shape and all my friends were out running. And I'm like, I don't have time for that. And uh, so I got a number and somehow I got a number in the very first group, you know, because I needed to be in the first group because I was that kind of person. And I didn't realize the first group people run really, really fast. And I should have been in the, I'm coming in an Uber group, you know, at the back. And uh, so I got my number on and got up there with the first people. And I, and, but I decided, you know, I don't want to just blow it. So what I'm going to do is the race was on a, a Sunday. I said, what? I don't want to blow it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out on Saturday and just make sure I can do it. <laughs> so I went down to Lenox Square and ran down to Piedmont Park on Saturday. And I did it. Young and vivacious and energetic, had dark hair, and I was very lean, <laughs> and I did it. And I got in the car, and I went home, and as the next 30 to 45 minutes passed, my, my body seized up <laughs> completely, utterly, literally. Can't get up, can't move, can't walk, legs don't work, can't breathe. And I'm thinking, I got to run the Peachtree Road Race tomorrow. <laughs> See, this is the pinata culture. I'll just wait to the last minute, and then I'll figure out how to get godly. <laughs> oh, I'm getting married in two months. Wow, I need to change some stuff. <laughs> Too late. Oh, you can rethink, but it's too late at that point to become a different person. And so what we, what we need to do instead is to start now with manageable steps and to keep taking steps without having a wow, Instagrammable, celebratable, humongous outcome at the end of the 21 days. But just to say, man... Congratulations, I'm fasting from something. That's a big step for me. I didn't even make it the whole 21 days. I only did it 14 of the 21 days. Celebrate that. That's probably 14 days more than you fasted from something last year altogether. So celebrate that. If you're one of these, um, you know, planners and you know what, the kind of people I'm talking about, you're like, oh my goodness, we're going to fast for 21 days. No one told me this in advance. And no one, they should have let us know this in November. I could have gotten prepared and gotten ready and read some books on fasting, and I haven't done any of that. And man, what did I eat this weekend? Did I eat the right things? And what am I going to do now? And oh my goodness, 21 days of fasting, and you're going to get into it, and you're going to start right now. You're like, I'm not going to lunch. Nope, I'm fasting. And you're going to get into the whole thing, and then you're going to, you know, one day you're going to not do it, or something's going to happen. You're going to spend all that time beating yourself up. Look, can you just give yourself a break and take a small step forward toward what God wants you to be and maybe take another step after that and another step after that and let's think about being on a long journey together. Someone mentioned in a meeting we were in not long ago, there's an app, which I should have gotten before, called Couch to 5K. Anybody ever used that app before? 
few of you have. Couch to 5K, so I said, I'll check that out because I'm never running a 5K, but I, I did the Peachtree Road Race and I've got a t-shirt and a whole thing and I don't need to do that again. But if I were gonna move from the couch to 5K, so here's what I learned about it. Are you ready for this? That, that you take the sessions of training on the app and the sessions are that you train about, and training's a, a very, it's a loose word there. You, you train 20 to 30 minutes three times a week for nine weeks and you're ready to run a 5K. You can go from your couch to running a 5K in nine weeks with three 20 to 30 minute sessions a week. Come on. So I said, well, what are these sessions? So I went on the app. Week one, workout one. Are you ready for this? Brisk five minute warm up walk. <laughs> it's only 20 minutes. There's five minutes of it right there. Brisk warm-up walk. Then alternate 60 seconds of jogging and 90 seconds of walking for a total of 20 minutes. Week one, workout one. You know what week one, workout two is? That. You know what week one, workout three is? That. I was like, man, when do I like start carrying weights, you know? Like, okay, now go to Turner Field, you know, with 18-pound weights in each hand. I was like, are you, are you kidding me? That's week one. It's only nine weeks. Week one is a five-minute brief warm-up walk and then basically a lot more walking. <laughs> if you can't jog for 60 seconds, that's a problem. <laughs> and that's how you run a 5K. You don't run a 5K by doing what we always doing, which is going to the athletic store and buying the coolest shoes on the market. <laughs> I'm getting those bad boys right there. Now, you have to do a five-minute warm-up walk. Then you run for a minute, and you walk for a minute and a half, and you do that for 20 minutes, and then you say thank you, and you check the box, and you do that three times a week for nine weeks, and then you can run a 5K. It's those steps that God wants you to put in place. And the last thing, see a vision, get a direction, start figuring out what are the tangible steps. And then the last part of it is get some people on your team. Get some people on your team who can buy into what it is that God's calling you to do. Um, I, I like to say it this way. If you're gonna go solo, you end up gonna go YOLO. That's just the way it works. <laughs> Solo usually leads to YOLO. If you don't have any accountability, if you don't have any partners, if you don't have anybody checking up on you, if you don't have anybody cheering for you, you're just at some point gonna be on your way to whatever it is that you've decided God wants you to do, but you know that varsity is gonna be calling your name so loud you're gonna pull in and get a fried uh, peach pie no matter what time of the day it is and say, you know what, just only live once, I'm just gonna go for it. You gotta have people, but you gotta have the right people in your life. And so Jesus doesn't give us a lot of information. He just says, when you fast, and then he tells us how we're gonna do it. And so God's gonna give you something for 21 days. We're gonna take that out of the equation. We're gonna ask God to fill the equation with what? With a picture of who or what 
His purpose is for us and our lives with some steps we can take to move towards that direction and with some people who can get on the journey with us to help us start down the road that God has for us. And as we do it, I love the last bit, the instructions, I'll close with this. He says, and when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So we're gonna fast as a house for 21 days, but we're not gonna walk around and tell everybody what we're doing. I mean, everybody knows what we're doing because this is what we're doing, but we're not gonna walk in and go, hey, how you guys doing? Hey, you want a coffee? No, I'm fasting from coffee. I've decided I'm not gonna have caffeine for the next 21 days because I'm fasting to seek God at the beginning of the new year for God's purposes and plans for my life and some steps and practical ways I can put that in place and I've got a couple people hanging out with me. I'm just gonna become an oak of righteousness, an iceberg. I'm saying goodbye to pinata kind of living. So no, I don't need a coffee. Thank you very much for offering though. That's fantastic. No, I'm fasting from that. We don't need that and we don't need, oh my. Oh, man. How y'all doing? I'm fasting. You know, <laughs> you know the, the problem with the pinata world in the instant culture that we live in is that sometimes we would rather get credited for being spiritual and fasting more than we would like to find God for our lives. And it's possible that we can go through these 21 days and tell the world we're fasting and get a reward from the world. Like, oh great, that's awesome, I mean, that's admirable. But there's a greater reward. And Jesus said, if you do like the hypocrites do, They've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. <laughs> what that means is take a shower. Put a smile on your face. Lift up above whatever the struggle is in the fast and walk through life confident, smiling, happy, hair washed, clothes clean and don't come through the back of it going, man, I'm telling you, I barely made it. Don't tell your boss, I'm sorry my project wasn't very good, I'm fasting right now. No, come through the fast with oil on your head, a face wash, so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So this is our, our mechanism is to say, yeah, you, you're going to tell those two or three people probably because they're on the journey with you and you might even need them to help you take a couple of steps. So there might be a quiet confidence of a person that you're saying, hey, this is what God's saying to me and this is what I'm fasting from for the next 21 days. But to the rest of the world, we're not making announcements of that. It's not, well, what are you fasting from? Well, what are you fasting from? It's like, you don't need to know. You don't need to know, and you probably won't find out unless you live with me 24 hours a day, because it's not really about that. It's about something between my heart and God's heart. It's me saying, I want you. I want your voice. I want your word. I want your picture. I want you to set for me a path and a plan for the brand new year, and that's going to be my reward. I want to be an iceberg, an iceberg-esque, 
And it's okay for me for God to be forming something underwater for a while that no one else can even see. And I believe we're gonna be better workers, better students, more productive. We're gonna have more fruit at the end of the 21 days and not less. We're not gonna be dragging around and moping around, frowning around. No, we're gonna be walking in the power of God. He's gonna be replacing every day, at least in that one little area of our lives, his goodness into our lives in a greater way than he is right now. And we're gonna experience that awareness of his purpose and his power for our lives day by day by day. But more than that, we're gonna seek God. And if we seek God, the scripture says, we're gonna find him, gonna hear from him. And what a way to start this year, to come to the end of these 21 days and to know that God has spoken a purpose and a plan over your life and over my life.